My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. I don't remember the first time I saw someone being absolved of sin after confession. It, was, it probably wasn't real. I, I, thinking about it, I was trying to come up with where did I first see this, the idea of somebody confessing their sins in a church and, and, and absolution being offered. And the only thing I could think of is, is in the movies or in the TV show, right? And, and, you, and you could probably think of tons off of your head. And in a show and movies and television, sometimes the main character will have sort of like a crisis of conscience, right? So they need, they need to get something off their chest. Even if they aren't Catholic, they still find their way to a Catholic church, and a priest is always somehow available to hear confession, as if ministers don't have schedules <laughs> and set aside time for confession. But whatever, it's fine. They run into a church, and a priest is there, and they need to unburden themselves, or they need really good advice, you know? And, and so the priest always makes time and sits down with them and, and, and talks to them and brings them into the confessional, or the minister will sit with them in the pew, and they'll talk, and, and they'll have a good conversation, and... The main character will, will kind of feel a little bit better about themselves. But in the movies and TV shows, you know, after this sort of discussion or after confession, uh, you know, the person usually feels better. Um, but Hollywood, as we know, and our media don't quite get, doesn't quite get religion right. So the wise ministers and priests and, and pastors in film are often parrots, right, of the... Uh, the sort of the oprification type of, of religion, you know, that God really wants us just to be nice and to get along. And that's what all religion is about. I've talked extensively about that in the past, so don't worry, I'm not going to talk any more about it this morning. But I, I, I bring this up because even though our culture is increasingly secularizing and people are moving away from established religions into new categories called the nuns, or also what's popularly called spiritual but not religious, there still seems to be the desire to unburden oneself of the things that we've done. There's still something ingrained in our culture and in us, and even in people who may not even be believers, who when they're writing stories meant to entertain us, still drive their characters into a place that's recognized as a place where someone can get counsel and absolution. Which is odd because everything in our culture is pointing us in the opposite direction. That there is no absolution. That there is no forgiveness for you. I used to work for a Borders bookstore. And uh, many years ago, there was a, a series of books that came out. And they're a really, really nice coffee table book. And that was one of the perks, right? I worked in the mornings and... I could see like some of the new stuff that, that would come before. And I would get in trouble because I'd want to read the books. And my manager would come out and say, stop reading and shelve them. I'm like, sorry. So I'd read it at lunchtime or whatever. But I remember there was a series of books. It started off, I believe, as you would create your own postcard. And then you would mail it to a place. And the person would take it and photograph it. And then collect these photographs into a book. But they would also post images of that photograph on the, on, online, right, on their website. And then all of those postcards that said it became part of like a traveling art exhibit. But the whole thing revolved around people confessing their sins or confessing, in their eyes, maybe bad things that they had done. 
So there was things in there ranging from, I don't know, I'm just generalizing here. I stole a pack of Lifesavers. I don't even know if they still make Lifesavers anymore, right? But I stole a pack of Cherry Lifesavers from the convenience store. You know, something benign like that to, you know, to the criminal. Well, I, I, I stole like a ton of money and this other person never found out or, or I did this to my family member or I stole from my family member or, or something just from the very mundane to the reprehensible. There was this desire people showed to, to reveal something of themselves even if it was anonymous because they didn't put their, like on the postcard, the names and the addresses aren't on there, okay? So it wasn't like this, so they could track them down afterwards. And it, it, it shows that guilt and shame continue to, to, to hound us. And people nowadays will turn to just about anywhere for absolution and forgiveness, except the cross. Except the cross, which, which is why this morning's readings are so powerful, why, why they're so potent. So let's talk a little bit about sin. And everyone's like, going, yay, great. <laughs> We'll talk a little bit about sin this morning. In Genesis 2:16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat out of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will die. And in Genesis 4, 7, God saying to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So in the story in Genesis 2, God tells Adam, don't eat the fruit from the tree. Because if you do, he says, you will surely die. Now God doesn't say that your ancestors, though they had nothing to do with what you've done, will be held responsible for you eating the fruit. No, he says, you will die. And when he and his wife eat the fruit, that's exactly what happens. We, as a human race, we have become subject to mortality. And we have become corrupted. That's what's happening in Genesis 2. Humanity has become corrupted and under the bondage of death. And this is what passes on to us. Right? Because in St. Paul, he picks up this, 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 this idea in Romans and other places where he'll say something like, in, in Adam, he says, all have died. All have died. Mortality. And in the second reading I read from Genesis, sin is crouching at the door of Cain's heart. Sin is essentially personified as a malignant evil force. But Cain doesn't listen to the warnings of God. And as a result, sin, this personified evil malignant force, has entered into the world and subjected us all. And it's interesting, when you read the book of Genesis, the first few chapters, it's pretty wild and crazy. We could talk for hours and hours about it. I won't. I only have a couple of minutes. So read that on your own. But after the story of Cain, what happens is he's, he's, he has to leave. And God curses him. So he won't be, anything that he would plant won't grow, right? So what does he do? It says he founded a city. So Cain goes, he founds a city, and then what you see there is a consistent pattern of humanity fa- falling deeper and deeper and deeper into wickedness. His father brought in mortality and spiritual death, and Cain ushers in sin. 
The Reverend Dr. Stephen Young says, Cain is the archetypical sinner, rebel and hater of God. He sets a trajectory for his descendants and for escalating evil and containment that requires the flood in order to save God's creation from Cain and his ilk. And these two go hand in hand, death and sin, like a twisted power couple. I don't know who the power couple is now. I, I mean, I think Kim, uh, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are getting a divorce, so it was Kimmy. I don't know who the new one is. I'm really behind the popular culture. And just you know, by way of warning, if, you're, if you have a minister who's really up to date on pop culture, run away. <laughs> run away. A mark of a good minister is how uncool they are. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good there, I guess. But a power couple. This is what, what Jesus has come to destroy, this power couple of sin and death. And this is what he, the scriptures tell us he has destroyed them already for us. And he has justified us. And he has reconciled us to God. St. Peter writes in his, uh, in his first epistle, the second chapter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And I was explicit with this last Sunday, right on Easter. If sin is destroyed, and if its power over us has been broken, and we, like the children of Israel in the Passover story in the Exodus, have been freed from slavery to it, and free from mortality and death, then why all of this talk in the readings and the gospel and the epistle this morning about forgiveness of sins? And that's because sins are transgressions are something that we are to fight against. I'm going to make an observation here, a, general, a hasty generalization maybe. So one of the theological viewpoints that developed around the era of the, of the Reformation was this idea that, that Christians are both just and sinner. Just and sinner. In other words, even though we have been declared righteous in Luther's uh, system, through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we are all still sinners. Because in this system, righteousness, or our being justified, is a free gift given to us through God's declaring us to be so, even though we still kind of aren't. So these are two realities in, in Lutheran, and I think in Reformed theology, that kind of live in tension within us. Now, I think he does have a point here. I don't agree with where he takes it. But the point here, though, is that... Even though we have been freed from death and from sin, the personification, the evil, malignant, spiritual force of sin, we still struggle with sins that we do. And these two realities live in tension within us. But when we are brought into Jesus Christ, our being made right in the sight of God, our reconciliation to God is actually something that God effects in us. It becomes a part of our being. It's not just something that's declared over us. We are made temples of the Holy Spirit. We are set right with God. We, as in the language of St. Paul will tell us, we have been made alive. But in spite of our being made alive, we are still human. We are still subject to mortality. And we still struggle with sins, even though we've been delivered from its power. And even though we've been delivered from the hold it has over us, we still struggle with that. And if, if, if our sins are something that we are to resist, then there will, be, there will be then times when we fall short. 
where we don't, where we don't struggle against our sins, when we fall prey to our sins. And, and the, the, the concept of sin, one of the concepts of sins in Scripture, I should say, is the word sin, hamartia, is a term which revolves around missing the mark. Missing the mark. Aiming for something and falling short. And that's kind of what the Christian life is, is we're aiming towards Christ, but sometimes we miss the mark. So in light of that, I offer a couple of observations taken from the gospel reading uh, this morning, John chapter 20. And in that passage that was read this morning, verse, uh, particularly verses 21 to 23, Jesus appears in the room. You know, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, now, <laughs> this is a very tough passage for us. Because in this passage, right, it, it's very, very clear here that Jesus is giving the 12. He's giving the apostles. Well, the 11, Jesus is dead. He's given the 11 apostles the gift of being able to forgive sins. It's very clear here in the text, right? The plain reading of Scripture, right? That's, as Protestants, that's what we love, the plain reading of the text. That's the clear reading of the text. Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. But he gives it to all of them, not just to one. Right. Now this is, 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 is tough, right? Because this view is held in different ways. All right? in, in most forms of like evangelicalism and, and in Protestantism in general, in your, like your typical non-denominational church or something like that, they're not going to, to believe that. But Lutherans and, uh, and Anglicans, generally speaking, will actually hold to that, that, that their ministers actually do, when they pronounce absolution, that that is actually a real thing, that they are forgiving the sins of the penitent. Jesus lays out the pattern. Right? Jesus says, the Father sent me. Right? And what did Jesus do? John, John, he, Jesus said, well, John says, talks about Jesus and Nazareth. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And when we look at the pattern of Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus preaching the good news. And we see Jesus bringing deliverance. From, from death. We see him raising the dead. We see him forgiving sins. We see him healing the sick. Jesus says then, the Father sent me, and he says to the eleven, I am sending you. And then he anoints them by breathing on them the, the grace of the Holy Spirit for this purpose. The Spirit will be poured out in full in the book of Acts on, on Pentecost. So, the important thing to note here is I'm not saying that now what we have to do is you have to come to me for, for confession. That's not what I'm saying. But what we have to do is, is we have to realize that the forgiveness of sins, right? That I, when I or any ordained minister stand in the pulpit and when we come together and as a group we confess our sins together, that there's actually something real happening. That when I declare it, 
declare that assurance that that's actually something real. Right? Even if that's not a gift that I have, even if it's just something I'm proclaiming to you based on what Christ has done, the thing we need to take away from that is we have truly been forgiven of the sins that we have committed. And this is important because it's in the context of the church. Now, how many of you have ever heard anybody say something along the lines of, you know something, you just need to learn to forgive yourself. I have. And that's not incorrect, right? There are times where we do have to learn how to do this. We have to forgive ourselves sometimes from the things that we've done in the past. Because sometimes even after we've sought reconciliation and restitution with people that we may have offended or done wrong to, that guilt and shame can sometimes still weigh on us. And in some, point, in some cases, that's true. There's a degree, a degree of truth to that. We do need to learn to sometimes forgive ourselves. But trying to forgive ourselves will always fall short because we need forgiveness from outside of ourselves. And this is why I think that, that therapy has become such an integral part of our culture, that psychologists and psychiatrists have become priests and ministers in some sense. And hear me clearly, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. If you ever hear a minister or a preacher or anything, badmouth <laughs> medical health care professionals, just get up and leave. <laughs> okay. That's a gift of God's grace to us, right? Medical health. There have been times where I myself have sat down, and there was a time where for a year I sat with a counselor because I was going through, while working for a church, I was going through some intense spiritual darkness, and that helped keep me Christian, to be honest. That's necessary, and that is good, and if you are in need of that kind of help, there, is no, there should be no stigma or shame attached to it. Please, please seek that out. But we need assurance of forgiveness. We need the absolution of the Lord from outside of ourselves, right? Which is why we ask every week, every Sunday, every Sunday, I stand up here and I lead you through a prayer of confession. We ask God to forgive our sins as a main part of our service. And I think, I think that churches that don't have that are missing out on something. I remember I was, I was watching a, a service online a couple of months ago, and not on Sunday because I was, I was here, but uh, I was watching another service from uh, another church and um, just a, sort of like a non-denominational model. And the preacher was great, like a really great sermon on, on actually on forgiveness and a really excellent, a really excellent sermon about letting go and, and, and beautiful singing. And it was wonderful. But the, I, I couldn't help but notice that at the end of the sermon, they had what's you know, called an altar call, like a time where they sing and you can come up to the front and pray and people can pray for you. And I thought to myself, what a perfect opportunity that would have been for him to have everybody confess their sins and then pronounce God's forgiveness over them. That is so powerful because it's so powerful. Like I said earlier, sin 
is personified in the Bible as an evil force, right? A malignant demonic power. And because we're still subject to mortality and death, we're still tempted to commit sins, right? And so we know that sin has actual weight brought on by guilt and by shame. And we even confess that guilt and that shame at the beginning of our confession this morning. We know when we sin. And we, we know that that can drive us and people to despair, right? Because when we sin, when we miss the mark, we start out on a mini journey, right? And the more we walk that road, the more and more we draw ourselves closer to death. And the more we do that, the more our consciences get seared. And the more our consciences get seared, the harder it gets to even acknowledge that what we're doing is sin in the first place. And then we find ourselves back under its power, back under the power of sin that Jesus died to redeem us from. Which is why St. James writes in his epistle that we should confess our sins. And that's why the first epistle of St. John we heard read today, we are comforted by the fact that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this should give us joy because we have confidence in this because of Christ's sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And there is real power in this freeing us from the weight of shame and the way of guilt. To conclude, I'm going to tell a story that sort of puts everything that I've just said into perspective. And maybe, <laughs> maybe I could have just told the story, right, and saved you 20 minutes. So um, a while back, and I, I've, I've, changed, I don't, I've changed some of the... the, the the time frame and details, right? Because this is personal. But I, I, do, I did ask the person if I could share this, and they said yes. So, But um, a friend of mine uh, called me one day and said, you know, I, I, I've been struggling. I'm like, okay. So we talked a little bit. And he's like, I, I, I sinned, and he explained what he did. And, you know, we went through, and he had asked God for forgiveness, and he was still feeling like a, a, a like a weight of guilt and shame. And I quoted scripture to him. You know, the scriptures tells us that a righteous person falls seven times and rises again. And as we talked, I, I just felt this hit. I don't know. Maybe I was sensing some of his own despair and his own weight. And as he confessed to me, and this wasn't like confession, like I'm in a confessional, right? We were just talking on the phone. But he was telling me. And add, like, I don't know what to do, this weight, this guilt, I feel bad, what should I do? So because I'm a minister, right, I have, I have lots of prayer books, okay? And so uh, in one of the prayer books I have, there's a, a little prayer service called Restoration of the Penitent. So I had him on the phone, and I said, hold on a second. So I went, and I rooted around, and I found the prayer book. And I flipped over to the prayer service called Restoration of the Penitent. And so I said, okay, I'm going to pray, and I want you to repeat after me when I say so. And he said, okay. So I prayed, and then I led him through a prayer confession similar to what we, we did this morning. The Lord, I have sinned against you. He said, I have sinned against you. In thought and word and deed. And he repeated, in thought and word and deed. From all the things that I, have, that I should have done and left undone, and all the things that I should not have done and have done. And apart from your grace, there is no help in me. Restore, all, restore me and all those who are penitent. According to your promises declared to all people that Jesus Christ our Lord, 
right? And as we prayed this together, his voice started to crack. And it started to crack even more. And by the end of the prayer, he was sobbing. And it was a really moving experience for me and for him. And I, <laughs> I wish this was in person, but it was on the phone. And I said what I, something similar to what I said before. I pronounce by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that your sins are forgiven according to his promises declared in the gospel. Your sins are, I didn't forgive his sins, Christ forgave his sins, right? But I declared that forgiveness over him. And something happened. It was like a weight lifted off of his shoulders. And he's, he's, you know, he's crying really hard through the phone. I'm trying hard myself not to cry. And uh, we ended the conversation really, really quickly after that. And that struck me because of what the scripture readings were this morning and what the shape of my sermon became. And that weight that had lifted from him it lifted because he not just knew that God could forgive him, but he had a moment, he had an encounter where he experienced that forgiveness. And there's so much power in that. And these texts this morning remind us and they reinforce God's amazing love for us. They reinforce God's love for us. And that's especially strong, right, after we've, we've walked through all of Lent and, and Holy Week and, and Easter. If we've taken away anything from any of this experience, it's God's amazing love for us. And confession and forgiveness, when we do it in, a, in the service, this, it's not just something that we're repeating. We just say it during this part of the service because this is the part of the service where we say this. We're not just vainly repeating something. We are actually asking God to forgive us of our sins, and then we are hearing that those sins that we've just asked Him to forgive us of, that those have truly and really be forgiven. And if we are bearing any weight on our shoulders that we brought in, when we leave those doors, or when you close your laptop, those of us, or, or your, your iPad or your iPhone, however you're watching, when you turn that off, that that weight of sin and that guilt for what you've done that week is really and truly lifted and gone. And that is a great, great gift. That is a great gift that Jesus Christ died to give us. And so, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash Zionstone Church Repair Fund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we could use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or on our website, ZionstoneUCC.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ. And may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you.